0: If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Welcome, Yvette. Well, welcome back to the Nurse Wellness Podcast. You were here a few months ago, and I'm so excited to have you back. Let's just reintroduce you to our listeners. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, and we have a lot to talk about. So, make it quick.
2: (laughs) Hi. Good evening, everybody. I am super happy to be back on the Nurse Wellness Podcast with our host, yours truly, Wendy Garvin Mayo. Um, My name is Yvette Palamecki. I am the CEO of Frontline Life Media. And I am also an ICU nurse, have been for eleven years. Currently working on the front lines since day one of the pandemic. And we are here to talk about a couple things, latest happening. Oh happenings.
0: yeah!
1: Oh yeah! Well, Eva is a very dynamic. ICU nurse. She's just not an ICU nurse. She's the CEO. She's an author. She has so much going on, so many great things going on. But uh, Yvette's also a travel nurse. So she has been um, on the front lines in various states, right? Various healthcare institutions. And I, I wanted to bring Yvette back to talk about a couple of things. But one of the main things is really the changes in the CDC guidelines. Um, and Eva, I know you have a story behind that, What I'll, I'll let you tell, but I would love to get your perspective on the new changes. So my understanding of the guidelines is for the general public, it's five days of quarantine. Once you test positive for healthcare providers, it's seven days. But what really caught me off guard was if, if an institution is short, they can cut your quarantine time down.
2: So that's your understanding, right? That's what you gather. So technically, the five-day quarantine is pretty much across the board at this point for everybody. Because actually, um, I can give you the background story on that for when I tested positive and how my whole journey was handled by the institution and what I did to handle it myself, Okay, So basically, the CDC guidelines, as you know, recently switched over to reflect a five-day mandatory mandatory quarantine period for individuals who test positive and are symptomatic. After the five days, um, there's this sort of a gray area where if I'm going to say institutions, I work for a hospital and those types of institutions, so I'm going to use the healthcare sector, uh, mm-hmm. for example, because that's what I'm in tune with. We are Mandated to test at the five-day mark. If we are not symptomatic, we are told, even if we are positive, we can go back to work, especially if there's a shortage. I tested positive at my fifth day. I did not go back to work. I was told to test again the next morning by the manager at the facility and, um, you know, by the agency. I tested positive again the next morning. I did not go back to work. And I was not going back to work until I produced a negative test because within a five day period, you can still be contagious depending on the day you contracted COVID. And nobody is really exactly sure because the day you test positive is certainly not the day you contracted the virus, but you still have that incubation period and you have that period of being contagious. We have estimates of windows and time frames. We don't have absolutes, right? So as far as I'm concerned, I am testing positive on a rapid test. So I am still contagious at day five. Let me tell you why. Uh, because... On a rapid test, it's the rapid test basically picks up proteins. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you will test negative faster on a rapid test, which is why they want you to take rapid tests to come back to work, because a negative result is going to show up faster on a rapid test than a PCR, which tests at the molecular level. But if I am still testing positive on a rapid test, my viral load is generally very high still which means I am still relatively contagious, even at the most minimal aspect, correct? I'm not going back to work. So that was that. It just so happened that I tested positive, you know, and I I didn't feel great. Honestly, days four, five, and six after testing positive were the worst. Those were the days I had the worst headaches The worst amount of head cold symptoms that I had had during the entire time in quarantine. So finally, they said, well, if you're testing positive on day five and six, you know, just stay home and just come back after 10 days. I had a test. So I tested myself at day 10. I'm sorry, on the morning of day 11, because that was the morning I was supposed to go back to work. They did not require me to test after day 10 to come back to work. They just said, come back to work. I tested myself anyway. By then I had tested negative and I felt great. And I I knew then, okay, I'm out of the window to get other people sick. I am okay to go back to work. But it wasn't until then. And I was not gonna go with a positive test. And that was my decision. And I was gonna stand by it regardless of what the agency said. And I knew it could cost me my contract and I was okay with that.
1: Wow. It becomes an ethical issue.
2: It it really does. It really does. Because how do the rules get bent for staffing reasons? So you want to bring back in your sick staff, even though you know they're sick to get other staff sick and continue the cycle. No.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that was my issue with the guidelines is that it's in there in black and white. If there's a staffing shortage your healthcare institution can mandate that you come out of quarantine sooner, right? But again,
2: how is the healthcare institutions excluded when we are the very ones out there fighting the pandemic? Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Bearing
2: the brunt of the decisions of people who decided never to get vaccinated, never to wear a mask and never to follow guidelines in the beginning, which is why we're still here, correct? Yes, yes,
1: yeah. (laughs) Wow,
2: I I had an issue with that, and and I did speak up on on another uh, live with Nurse Alice Benjamin because we both shared the same sentiment about the guidelines. It, it's it's too short, and it was blatantly obvious that it was made on the tune of desperation for mm-hmm. staff and to be able to normalize life again. But it's not it, it's not working. It's not working.
1: Yeah. And you want nurses and frontline workers and healthcare workers to feel appreciated, right? How, how do I feel appreciated if, if you're saying, well, five days is up, come back and just wear your mask regardless if you're positive or not. You know what I mean? And even for me, my son was um, close contact with someone with COVID. He tested negative. But even for me, before I went back to work, I'm like, I have to test myself, you know? And his sister was going back to work. She tested herself, even though she was asymptomatic, she tested positive. You know, so we're like, you cannot go back to work. We don't care if you don't have symptoms, but, you know, you have to make a choice based on your own, you know, values, beliefs and in your own, you know. It's It's not not about
2: the symptoms. It's about the risk of the, you know, passing it on to somebody Mm. else. And just because I don't feel symptoms doesn't mean I can't infect others with the virus that Mm. I'm shedding like crazy. Okay. I may not have symptoms because my immune system might have been stronger. I was boosted in November. So I had extra protection on board already. I take vitamins. I, I do my IV drips. I'm very diligent about my PPE. You know, I I mean, I did all the things and I ended up still catching COVID from work. So who's to say that I don't go back in and while I'm taking a break, eating in the break room, I take off my mask and there we go. And this is how healthcare workers are getting sick. If they're not getting it from their patients coughing on them, they're getting it from the break room because a mask is laying around that somebody's coughed in and spoken in and left the spores there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is, which is another thing, you know, we talk about how healthcare workers are not feeling appreciated these days, and certainly that's a slap in the face. And you wanna think, you know, with a variant like Omicron, it is a lot of head symptoms. So I'm stuffy, I have to blow my nose, my nose is running, my eyes are watering, my throat is (laughs) very sore all the time, I keep coughing. So now I have to go and armor up with an N95 and another mask over and a shield over that. And now I'm suffocating in my own mucus Mm -hmm. for the sake of going to work? Absolutely not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when you declined to go back after five days, how did that impact you? I know you said you were at risk for, you know, losing your contract and all that, but were you pulled into an office to kind of talk it over or? No, I mean, I was
2: in quarantine. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I was in quarantine, so I didn't go anywhere, and I literally did not leave my hotel room for ten days. <laughs> but uh, no, the manager sent me a text, and he said, "Okay, stay home for for you know, just stay home, and feel better." And that was the end of that. He didn't make a big deal of it because he he knows me personally, and mm-hmm. so he knows I don't just dodge work for no reason. I gave him a play by play of, "Hey, this is how I'm feeling," and he even knew leading up to the day I tested positive because I texted him the day before and I said, Hey, my throat feels like I swallowed some razor blades. I woke up on a Thursday and I said, Thursday, January 13th. I said, I think I have strep throat. I woke up feeling like I swallowed a bunch of razor blades. It was awful. He said, Oh. You got COVID symptoms. And I'm like, no, it's just a sore throat. Like, I have strep. I'm sure I have strep, if nothing else. I felt fine physically otherwise. Mm -hmm. The next day, he said, well, you should think about getting tested if your symptoms persist. I said, okay. I felt fine the day, the rest of the day later. I, you know, took something like DayQuil and I said, I feel a little better. I'll be okay. The next day, I woke up. I felt okay. I didn't feel super great you know, but I felt okay to go on with my day. I happened to be off that day as well. And by 5 PM, I'm sitting in my hotel room at my computer and I just like, my head just drops. And I'm like, Mm. wait a minute, something just hit hit me over the head that I don't feel good. Mm. And that's when I sent him a message. And I said, I think I need to test. I really don't feel good right now. And sure enough quickest day, that line showed up positive very quickly.
1: Wow. All now of we, my positive
2: stuff very quickly. There was no doubt.
1: <laughs> you have to wait 10 minutes or 15 minutes. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, were you able to use your sick time on those days that you were home? So uh, the way
2: the agency works is that they were allotting a maximum of five days paid Mm -hmm. because the CDC guidelines said five days out. So they took that five days and just shortened the pay period to five days instead of the original 14 days that were allotted back in the early days of the pandemic. So even that
1: has been cut. (laughs) Wait a minute. So they are messing with people's livelihood. Right. I had to eat the other five days that I was out. I I just had to eat it
2: myself, but I didn't care at that point.
1: Right. Well, it's good that you probably could have, but what about someone else who who doesn't have that bandwidth to eat those five days? You know what I mean? My argument, exactly.
2: My argument, exactly. Because if you are really conscientious as a healthcare provider, and mind you, Wendy, you know, I've been very vocal from the start and I've given the general public pretty much an inside view to what my life has been on the front lines. And I've always advocated, hey, wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your distance. I have always said that. So me being an advocate means I have to walk the walk and talk the talk as well. So I cannot sit here and justify myself going back to work with a positive test for the sake of a paycheck. Yeah. I'm thankful that, yes, I'm in a position that I was able to just eat those five days by myself and let, let it be. But again, my argument is, do people now have to choose to work sick to be able to earn their living and then perpetuate the pandemic by infecting others because they're still positive at day five and infectious? Or can we, can we at least extend people that courtesy? hmm My baby sister is a junior programmer for a large builder, Lenar Corporation. It's a home builder. They give her, she caught COVID. She tested positive two days later after I did. And they gave her a full 14 days pay, full two weeks pay. No questions asked. Wow. She is not a healthcare provider. I am in no way, shape or form jealous or upset about that. I think that is the right thing to do. And kudos to Lennar home builders, for that. I appreciate them taking care of her and taking care of their employees that way. I wish healthcare institutions and agencies and other, you know, corporations would do the same because that is the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, some companies have it built in now. Like even if someone in your household tests positive, you get, I think like three or five days off. Like they build it in.
2: You got yeah. to, because you got to give that lag time where you became in contact with them and you may turn positive within those yeah. two to five days.
1: Yeah. So it just goes to show that it's possible, but healthcare institutions have to want to do it, right? To extend Correct. courtesy. Correct. It is possible. Your healthcare worker. It is possible.
2: You yeah. know, if, if a home builder can do it to their employees, which are working remote, mind you, so they didn't okay. have to do it. She's working remote, but they did it anyway. And like I said, kudos to them. I am working in contact directly in front of patients infected with this, getting coughed on day in, day out, and and others, and and just running the risk being inside that hospital. That's, by the way, a COVID center. Yeah. The risk is there, it's only a matter of time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Why can't they do that for us?
1: Now, what would you tell a nurse who who's in the position, you know, that, that has COVID that's feeling that struggle of, I don't want to go back, but I need to go back. And, and, you know, courageous conversations. I think that that's something that has to happen, right? Because we said it's comes into, um, you know, your values as a human, right? Not just as a nurse, but you as a person, right. It's really testing those values. Well, it's, It's, it's simple for me. Okay. Here we are the
2: most trusted profession for the Mm -hmm. past 20 years or so. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay.
2: We are, which means we also have to make decisions for the good of others, not just us. Mm -hmm. And if that nurse doesn't want to go back to work, regardless of what her employers are saying, she should not even, feel the need to have to be torn between the decision that way. And I think given the climate that we're in right now, nurses have a platform to be able to really, really speak up and make their actions speak for themselves and make it known that no, you will not abuse us. Because to me, that's abuse. You're gaslighting people into coming into work, knowing they can still be contagious to others for the good of what?
1: And I think you said something so powerful. I don't think nurses know how much power we have now, especially on these social media platforms. You are not alone. All you got to do is put something out there and we will gather and come and support you, you know? So as,
2: as an individual, we render powerless a little just because we're one individual. Collectively, we do have the power and we need to act accordingly. And we need to exercise that power right now while we have it in front of us.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of power, what are you doing out there to help empower nurses and advocate for nurses? I want to get into what you're doing, what you have planned. I know you have a couple of things going on. So tell us. So uh,
2: one of the things is, as you know, um, I did write a book. I authored my first book (laughs) in between all this craziness and it's called the best version of you uh, releasing Stress and keeping you cool in healthcare. It is aimed at healthcare professionals um, to just help them uh, by a method to manage their stress and basically aimed as part of a wellness incentive for healthcare workers. I've also participated in a documentary, which just yes. this past weekend won several awards at the Orlando Urban Film Festival. We also won best documentary at the Impact Docs Awards, which I hadn't announced yet, but you're the first to hear it. <laughs> and um, I'm working on a couple other things. You know, um, I'm moving towards advocacy. I'm moving towards advocacy uh, for for nurses, for healthcare providers um, in in hospitals. That's that's been my main gig for the past 11 years. So that's my sector that I really, really like to target and address because it's a sector that is the most broken. So I'm moving in that direction. <laughs> Let's just yeah, say that. I-
1: I love it, and I think that's why I gravitated towards you because you are a nurse advocate. And like you said, there's power in numbers, right? I think we, we all, many, you know, health and wellness nurses are out there. Have nurse advocates are out there, but we need to come together. I think there's too many silos going on, right? <laughs> where, where we are definitely stronger together. I do want to go back to your book, though. Can you give us, um, I don't know, give us some a tip or something from that book to keep our cool? you know, while we're on the front lines or, you know, to reduce stress, I would love to um, get a little sneak peek. And I will put the link to the book in your bio, I mean, in the um, show notes, so people can, you know, go check it out. So what I
2: noticed, what I noticed with people is that a lot of the times, one of the struggles to managing stress is first being able to recognize. mm mm-hmm what brings about the stress and how it comes and a lot of people don't gain a good understanding of it so i always tell people for starters you know we need to be able to comprehend a little bit where our stress triggers come from what exactly happens in our body as stress is building because we also need to know our bodies and be able to recognize the signals that our bodies are giving off to us to let us know. Hey, 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 wait, you're stressed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's where I start generally.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that that's that's true. Um and that's something I talk about too. And, and as nurses, we know, but we don't think about it.
2: <laughs> it's it's so hard, you know, to look at, that. mind you, I I started therapy again. And I started counseling sessions. And so this is one of the things that we go over. We talk about being in tune with yourself and, and kind of doing the inner work. This is some inner work that we have to do to be able to start listening to our bodies because our bodies are giving us answers. We just don't listen a, because we don't care to listen. Second, we don't know how to listen because we don't know how to recognize the signs. So that's where it starts. You have to do some of the inner work first.
1: Yeah. And I'm big on getting quiet and your body will give you the answers, your gut, but we don't take the time to just slow down, stop.
2: It has to be intentional Wendy. it has has to be the nurses that Feel powerless and feel bullied to come back to work after five days, and they're either still positive or symptomatic or not feeling well, or just want to take the 10 days to be safe. Mm -hmm. Should be able to do that because why that quiet time that you need, that healing time that you need, once you go back to work, you get none of that. You get stressors. I mean, I'm listening to alarms and different devices going off. I can tell you a hundred alarms. I can tell you exactly what it is. That's how in tune I am with my job and what I'm doing. I need to get that in tune away from there mm-hmm. with my own body and what it's trying to tell me. What alarms is it
1: setting off? You understand? Mm-hmm. And those are triggers, even though okay. they may be even subconscious triggers, right? Even though you're conscious of the noise, but subconsciously it could be doing something to you, right? But then if you don't shut down to download that to really figure out what that is, it just can't absurd. hear
2: yourself think. Yeah. It the, the quiet is is probably the ultimate de stressor. Quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm serious. <laughs> I I'm very mindful, Wendy. I'm very mindful of what I watch on TV, mm-hmm. the music that I listen to, even lyrics. Because There are certain things that at this point in my life, I cannot even afford to download.
1: Mm, mm. It it goes that deep. Wow. Yeah. And I think you brought up a good point that therapy, there's nothing wrong with therapy right now. You know, mental health liberating myself (laughs) with therapy. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stigma attached to therapy. You know, we just released a podcast about um, mental health in the workplace. And I think it's so, um, it's so important that we normalize, especially in the profession of nursing, because we're going through so much, but really normalizing, having that conversation, really holding healthcare leaders accountable in some respect to assess that, that that's part of the assessment, not just performance, but how are people doing mentally? Not only, you know, One of my
2: talking points of advocacy uh, coming up the access to mental health services that are not there.
1: Mm-hmm. If you think
2: about it, therapist office are nine to five hours. What nurse has a nine to five job of, if she's not in a clinic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can't go to therapy before work because your office isn't open. I can't go to therapy after work. If I have a weekend off, you can't serve me on the weekends because you don't work weekends. Mm-hmm. So here's already the small window of opportunity to be able to get in on a weekday when a therapist is already overbooked. Mm -hmm. That was the problem I had with therapy last year when I started. I couldn't get on her calendar because she only had Tuesdays and Thursdays available. My work schedule wasn't aligned that way. I had a manager who was nice enough to rearrange it, but then her windows of time well, it was, it, it just ended up, ended up being a mess. It was, it was something that I couldn't continue because of the logistics of just getting on the calendar. It was so, it was stressful.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then trying to cultivate the relationship, right. If that relationship doesn't work and you have to go back into that whole cycle trying to find someone else. And yeah.
2: So I I've, I've started again and, um, you know, this is, this is virtual and it's, It's working great and definitely there's more availability for me and they understand my profession and they are willing to extend, you know, an hour here and there and and that helps a lot. So it leads me to a clearer focus and leads me to basically keep my head level where I can see where I'm going and taking this new nursing journey.
1: That's awesome. So I have one more topic to talk to you about. I have to talk to you about it because it's out in the news about travel nurses and their pay. Congress is investigating, um, you know, the salary of travel nurses. What are your thoughts around that? I, and I know travel nurses get paid a lot of money, right? They, they can make, I, the research I did was about a half a million a year if you're, you know, doing things correctly. But also the environment that you guys step into. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's a lot. I mean, you're giving up a lot to be a travel nurse, right? Not only professionally, but even personally. So talk to me a little bit about your thoughts around uh, the investigation and pay. And how are you received when you go into a new assignment into an institution being a travel nurse? So
2: to start with that, Wendy. I appreciate your question. I have actually done a couple interviews with some reporters who have reached out to me asking that. And um, I start by saying this. When people look at the number, it's a nominal fee. Okay. It's what it is. It's a number. It looks great on the screen. Don't get me wrong. However, who is talking about the intrinsic risk on the other side that we face? Okay. I have to leave home whatever home is, okay, I could have a spouse, I could have a a relationship, I could have kids, I could have dogs, I could have whatever. Whatever it is at home, I have to leave basically my house in disarray because now I have to go pick up at a moment's notice because these contracts move very quickly. I don't have four weeks to get my house in order. I have to leave within a 24 to 48 to, you know, maybe a week time span, if that, okay? Crisis contracts move within a 24 to 48 hour window. Mm. I received a call from the agency in my last assignment. I had to be in South Texas by the border the next day, that quick. So now you've just added 20 layers of stress on me because if I am a single mother, I have to now accommodate childcare. I have to accommodate transportation to and from school, daycare, whatever have you. If I have a spouse, I have to make sure my spouse is is going to do what I need them to do for our family and our child. If you are leaving a relationship that's in trouble, that opens the door for that emotional doubt and all that other stuff that creeps in with infidelities and, and other things that you may struggle with in that relationship. Now I have to harbor this huge emotional toll as I'm scrambling with my suitcases to get out the door to make that flight or get in my car and get to that destination before that 48 hours because I have to check in and I have to be there, right? We haven't started the assignment yet, Mm -hmm. okay? We haven't started. Now I get to a place depending on the conditions, some agencies will put you up in a hotel and that's where you stay. That's it. You don't get a choice. You don't get to pick. You don't get no, there's no if, ands, or buts. You're bust over to certain facilities and that's just what it is. It's an operation, right? It's a deployment. Mm-hmm. Other agencies, depending on the conditions and geographically where you go, you may go somewhere where... There's not a lot of hotels. So if they're scarce and there's a ton of nurses competing for hotel rooms, you may not be able to book a hotel within your price point for the stipend that you may be getting. You have to book a house or find yourself an apartment or rent a room. That's a source of stress. You don't know where you are in this city. Okay. I was deployed to South Texas in 15 minutes. I can be in Mexico by car, okay? Now I have to worry about the element of the trafficking. What if, you know, Mm -hmm. that whole danger thing, right? That you hear about on the news. I'm not from there. I don't live there. I don't know how to navigate. What if I get lost somewhere and and I end up in Mexico? Like so many things and I'm I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm single, I'm by myself. So here's more stressors, right? We still haven't started the assignment. Next day, I step into the hospital. They're short on PPE. Your unit's full of new grads. All your experienced nurses left. You have patients lined up along the the hallways and everything else. Admins in disarray because half the admin staff is gone. It's just, it goes on and on. You don't have supplies. You're piecing and parting. Just two weeks ago, our pharmacy ran out of cough syrup. And that same patient that kept coughing and coughing and coughing, which is probably where I got COVID from, you know, there's no cough syrup. I can't even give her something to relieve her cough because we're on back order mm-hmm. for cough syrup. So that's what people are not talking about. Those are the stressors that are not being aired. All people see is the number. And mind you, we do have nurses that are out there just flashing their purchases that's their prerogative. I don't agree with that. I don't do that because I haven't made large purchases of handbags and cars. So, I, you know, it's not a thing for me. I've invested in trying to make a business for myself, to pick myself back up from divorce where I was on the edge of bankruptcy right before COVID. So that's not a thing for me. But, you know, again, Let's talk about the risks and everything that goes in. Do you know how many kids have of nurses have gone to therapy? My own niece has, you know, has had issues where she's attempted suicide. Mm. And she's only 12. So, you know, let's talk about those risks before we talk about what nurses are worth and what they're not worth.
1: Yeah, I I think you bring up absolutely great points because people don't know, right? They just see the number. And one thing I always say in regard to travel nurses and salary is that it doesn't matter how much money you make, nurses are going through the same thing. The stress, the burnout, the PTSD, I don't care if you're making $100,000, $500,000 a year, the problems are still there. And no amount of money in this world, (laughs) right, can fix that. It's bigger every, than, it's bigger than the, the
2: paycheck. Every day I lose a piece of my soul mm. that I may or may not be able to get back, depending on how fast I get to therapy, depending on if, if I pay for it, if it's accessible to me, if my schedule will allow it. Okay. And if my, and if I'm even up for it at this point, right. Wow. What is my soul worth? Mm. Mm,
1: mm, mm. Wow. Wow going to leave it right there. Yes. That's a mic drop. I think that's a a great way Mic (laughs) drop mic drop. There's nothing else to say, but thank you (laughs) for sharing this time and space and your experience and your stories with us. Uh, very powerful. And I know it will help someone. I have chills going through my, my body just from the various things you said. Um, I usually do a rapid fire, but I think we're going to drop it right there. I think this is a, a nice way to put a pin in it and we will have you back again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see you back. I'll be a different person by then. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Eva. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review between episodes. You can follow the nurse wellness podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Before you go, I would love to share a free mindfulness ebook with you. Go to stressblueprint.com backslash 35 and download your free copy. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best.
0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing or trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.